wish that Republican leadership was more focused on economic opportunity and creating good paying jobs instead of taking away the rights and freedoms of Montanans and their families. Welcome to MCV Cast. That was House Minority Leader Kim Abbott of Helena. We'll hear more from her about the challenges of conservation champions in the Montana legislature in a few moments. We'll also check in again with Lance Forstar, the chairman of the Fort Peck Assiniboine Council, on the new fate of the zombie Keystone XL pipeline. If they put a new wig on it and put some makeup on it, it's still going to be the same monster. And we don't want to see that in a future administration. And what does America's new president mean for climate change, public lands, energy, and clean air? We face an attack on our democracy and on truth, a raging virus, growing inequity, a sting of systemic racism, a climate in crisis. A lot to cover today. I'm Aaron Murphy. Executive Director Whitney Tani is dialing in from Bozeman, and Political Director Jake Brown joins us from Helena. We're going to put some sounds of the Montana outdoors in the background. Stick around to the end of the show to find out where we recorded this week's ambient sound. And guys, let's begin with the transformative news of the week out of Washington, D.C. The dream of justice for all will be deferred no longer. A cry for survival comes from planet itself. A cry that can't be any more desperate or any more clear. And now, a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism that we must confront and we will defeat. Moments after taking the oath of office on Wednesday, President Joe Biden addressed the cry for survival from the planet. In a series of executive orders on day one, he rejoined the Paris Climate Agreement to put America back on track with the rest of the world in fighting climate change. And hours after taking office, he and Vice President Kamala Harris announced a comprehensive review of dozens of controversial actions taken by the Trump administration over the past four years, most of them rollbacks to environmental and public land protections. President Biden also wasted no time in revoking the permit of the controversial Keystone XL pipeline, as President Obama did back in 2015. I think some of the things we're going to be doing are going to be are bold and vital, and uh, there's no time to start like today. So. This time, the KXL pipeline will likely come to an end, for good. TC Energy, the Canadian company building the pipeline, recently ramped up marketing and lobbying efforts, even announcing that the project would eventually be carbon neutral. It was all part of a last-ditch effort to keep the $8 billion project on track. But on Wednesday, TC Energy suspended work on the pipeline, which was set to cross through Montana from Alberta near the Fort Peck Reservation. Back in July, we spoke with the chairman of the Fort Peck Assiniboine Council about the Keystone XL pipeline. Lance Forstar calls the project the zombie pipeline. So how is he responding to news that the zombie is dead again? Well, we checked in with him from Wolf Point earlier this week. Hello, Mr. Chairman. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Aaron? Uh, Doing pretty good. We appreciate you taking a little time for giving us a quick update on what's happening out in northeastern Montana. Particularly interested in, first of all, your reaction to to news from the Biden administration that the Keystone XL pipeline, uh, which you appropriately called the zombie pipeline, has been canceled. Yes, I'm still processing. I'm still kind of sifting through the information. Uh, I've been um, very weary, of course, um, any news of a victory, but I do believe, and I'm 99.85% sure that this is a victory. 
and I know this is something that you and many folks up in northeastern Montana have been opposing. You called it the zombie pipeline because it's been shut down before. Uh, President Trump brought it back to life. Now it appears to be dead again. What is it going to take to put this zombie down forever, do you think? Well, I really believe that, you know, the work that we do now, um, and the reason why I said that I, I'm weary of uh, actually declaring a victory in this fight that we have for future generations, we have to uh, persistently and consistently um, keep in mind that um, the the big picture, and the big picture is that um, last year we had surpassed that 414 parts per million carbon dioxide content in Earth's atmosphere. Um, and we've never done that in the history of mankind or the history of Earth. Um, if you look at some of the, the data coming out of these um, studies and the, the research, we, we are definitely making a huge impact on our planet, uh, which our future generations will definitely um, uh, feel the effects of, and we're feeling the effects now. The price of gas is pretty petty when it comes to the, the, the implications of not taking the steps that we need to take to ensure a better future for, for our planet and future generations. Now, Mr. Chairman, I know you've been following the, the progress of what TC Energy has been doing out there for a long time and just recently posted about some of the, the plans for man camps, et cetera, assuming that all of that is on hold now. Can you walk us through what you're seeing out there? What has TC Energy been doing for folks who haven't been in your neck of the woods recently? What I've seen is um, I've been up to the border. And of course, we, we did a ceremony up there, a water ceremony and, and a, um, a prayer ceremony up there. What they've done is um, some pre-construction. Um, we definitely seen that um, the workers weren't wearing personal protective equipment, and that's been an issue due to the fact that workers that have come into the area uh, may or may not have introduced uh, COVID-19 at an early stage of its infection here in the area. Um, I've lost a father-in-law to COVID-19. Um, I have an uncle that lost his daughter to COVID-19. We have close to 55 people that have that have passed away due to this disease, and we're very isolated. So there, there were workers coming in from across the country, and the bad thing about it was that if they did bring in COVID-19 to Valley County or the area, they wouldn't have to report as being one of the numbers in the area. So if um, one of their workers had got it, they could just as well fly him back to Texas, and then he would be um, counted as a number down there. Um, we've really made sure that... Um, we don't introduce people into the area, unlike TC Energy. A few months back, I was able to see the um, the Mancap construction site. It's about three or four miles east of Hinsdale. And Hinsdale only has about 200 people in their population. And so when you look at the size of this, this Mancap and you think about these people coming in from all over the country and what could have happened, and who knows? They I don't know if they're going to tear it down or what they're going to do, but you can just think of the implications that the, the man camp would have. I know that there was um, an uh, individual that um, came into the area with his, uh, with his son and they, they, they were arrested. They had kidnapped a, a young woman with the intention of selling her to man camp workers. The, the, the main thing is to um, keep in mind that the zombie pipeline, like I said, if, if they put a new wig on it and put some makeup on it, it's still going to be the same monster. 
we don't want to see that in a future administration. So hopefully in these next four years, there can be some work that's done to um, prohibit that or to, to keep that from happening again. Lance Forstar is chairman of the Fort Beck Assiniboine Council. He's a community organizer, community activist, and community leader. Joins us from Wolf Point. Mr. Chairman, thanks for your time. Thank you, Aaron. It's, a, it's been a pleasure. No surprise, Senator Steve Daines opposes the cancellation of KXL. He sent a letter this week asking Biden to support the project. He cites jobs and TC Energy's recent commitment to operate the pipeline at a net zero emissions level by 2023. But the pipeline would still move heavy tar sands crude across eastern Montana and down to the Gulf of Mexico for refining. Senator Daines also opposes the Paris Climate Agreement. Senator John Tester, meantime, met this week with President Biden's pick for Secretary of the Interior. Deb Holland is currently a congresswoman from New Mexico and is the first Native American nominee to be chosen for a cabinet position. Tester met with Holland on Tuesday saying he had a productive conversation about protecting Montana's public lands and meeting federal responsibilities to tribal nations. Tester added he wants to work closely with Holland to fight for the Land and Water Conservation Fund and to ensure that tribes and local governments have a say in land management. By the way, Tester is the new chairman of the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee and is now the 29th senior most senator in Congress. Before leaving office, former Interior Secretary David Bernhardt on Friday transferred management of the National Bison Range to the Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribes. For decades, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service managed the 19,000-acre bison range, which sits in the middle of the Flathead Reservation. The tribes say the mission of protecting wild bison won't change, and the public likely won't see any major changes. Senators Tester and Danes included language in a recent funding bill to transfer management to the tribes, something MCV has long advocated for. That bipartisan bill also ratifies the CSKT's Water Compact. Speaking of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, hours after becoming president, Biden announced that the former director of Montana's Department of Fish, Wildlife and Parks will serve as deputy director of the federal agency. Martha Williams was a guest on our show last season, and we wish her well in her next chapter of public service. Governor Greg Gianforte has nominated Henry Warsak to take Martha Williams' place as head of the Montana Department of Fish, Wildlife and Parks. The governor also chose three new people to serve on the FWP commission. All of them are campaign donors to Gianforte. They are KC Walsh, the president of Sims Fishing Products in Bozeman, outfitter Pat Tabor of Big Fork, and oil industry executive Brian Seabull of Billings. Hopefully we won't have to keep talking about William Perry Penley for much longer, but he's in the news again this week, even though he's no longer in the role of acting director of the Bureau of Land Management. Pentley has led the agency for a year and a half, despite not being confirmed by the Senate. As a reminder, last fall, a Montana judge said Penley's tenure was unlawful following a lawsuit by former Governor Steve Bullock. Well, now the state of Colorado is following suit by suing Penley over BLM's management plan for southwestern Colorado. Colorado is citing Montana in its lawsuit, saying Penley has no authority to proceed in his role as acting director. In Helena, the Montana legislature is wrapping up the first month of its 67th session. Lawmakers are meeting in the Capitol despite the COVID-19 pandemic under a new Republican governor and with comfortable Republican majorities in both the House and the Senate. That means the challenges of the legislative session are unprecedented, and this week's guest is fully prepared to meet them head on. 
Kim Abbott is Montana's House Minority Leader, who has represented House District 83 in Helena since 2017. In addition to serving in Montana's citizen legislature, Representative Abbott also works as co-director of the Montana Human Rights Network. She is also a former AmeriCorps VISTA volunteer. Representative Abbott, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on MCVCast. No, thanks for having me, you guys. So we're about three weeks in. What are your first impressions and your biggest takeaways so far from the 67th legislature? Yeah, we're, we are almost three weeks in, which feels good. Um, I think it's a really different session, obviously, with um, the COVID-19 pandemic and the changes that we've made around that. Um, my first impressions are probably that um, the building could definitely be safer. I think Democratic caucus members have been saying that over and over again. We have about half our caucus participating remotely, and that's been a little bit of a challenge, you know, in terms of communication and building that cohesion. And you know, we'll continue to um, ring the bell on safety and transparency for, for not just us, but for for you guys as lobbyists, um, for the press corps, for our staff. We understand that the behavior that, that we engage in in the building has a ripple effect out into our communities and can really affect local economies in a negative way. But so far, I think our caucus is, um, you know, really excited to get to work. We've been waiting to sort of start moving key policy proposals, and our whole framework is really about building economic opportunity for for all Montanans, no matter where they, where they live in the state, through um, investment in infrastructure, work in protecting um, what we've gained in healthcare access and affordability, but also expanding on that, and then um, investments in education. So we're we're excited to um, roll out our policies and talk about who we are this session. Representative, uh, I'm glad you, you touched on that. We'd like to dive in a little deeper. You mentioned infrastructure and, and healthcare. Uh, I know job creation is important for your caucus, wage growth, public education. My question is, what specifically is your caucus doing to, to move Montana forward? Yeah, thanks for the question. So in infrastructure, our efforts are really focused on a package of bills that address broadband. You know, we're, we're behind um, in Montana on rural broadband. And we know that it is a game changer for tribal communities and rural places. It is a, it's an equalizer. It allows small businesses to compete. It brings more equity in education and it really bridges the divide between um, tribal places, rural communities and urban centers. So we'll have a package of four or five bills that really try to treat rural broadband as critical infrastructure that is as important to creating good jobs and growing our economy as roads and bridges. So I think you'll see a variety of our members uh, roll out those proposals in the coming weeks. We're really excited about them. You know, the Republican alternatives that we've seen are corporate giveaways, and we really want to treat it differently than that. In healthcare, um, we're looking to protect the gains we've made to access to affordable care over the last few sessions. We've done a great job and, you know, Democrats have been the majority votes on a lot of those policies. Um, You'll look at uh, prescription drug transparency legislation and a study bill on looking at implementing the federal surprise billing um, legislation that came through. And uh, in education, I think you'll see proposals on career and technical education from us, as well as equalizing K-12 education, special education um, as part of the base. So we're excited about all of those proposals. We have a lot of talent in our caucus to move them. Representative Abbott, twice in a row now, you've earned 100% on MCV's legislative scorecard. Thank you for being a lifetime champion of the causes we stand for, but 
I'm just kind of curious what is on the horizon this session in terms of bills affecting our environment or public lands that you'd like to see and what bills uh, and what bills should not become law? You know, that's a good question. And, and honestly, and you guys know this, I'm really proud of my 100% with y'all. I take your recommendations seriously um, and really look at you um, to lead me in the right direction. I don't sit on the committees that see that legislation. So I really do count on other members of our caucus um, and you and you all in the conservation movement to point me in the right direction. So obviously we wanna promote access to public lands. We wanna make sure that the um, agencies that take care of access issues and create the opportunities are funded appropriately. Um, in terms of the, the threats, you know, I'm really gonna have to look to you guys um, to give a heads up on what those are. And um, of course, members of our caucus that serve on the relevant committees communicate effectively uh, to leadership about those things too. Well, there's never a shortage of threats. Uh, what other bills or priorities are you guys um, looking at or backing this session? You know, we're laser focused on working families who had a hard time um, over the last year. And so I think what you'll see from us is an expansion of the earned income tax credit and some other policies that are laser focused on folks that really need a hand right now. Um, the benefit of that is that you're putting money into the pockets of Montanans who are going to spend it in local economies, um, and we'll see a ripple effect there. You know, and then, of course, the, the policy priorities that we talked about already. I will say that on the defensive side of things, we're pretty alarmed at the early attacks against the LGBTQ community um, and women's reproductive health care. We've seen some really nasty policies move through the House Judiciary Committee. Um, They've had hearings. We're looking at executive action later this week, maybe when this podcast airs, actually. Um, and then uh, if, if those bills come out of committee, they'll be on the floor next week. So we wish that Republican leadership was more focused on economic opportunity and creating good paying jobs instead of taking away the rights and freedoms of Montanans and their families. But we'll do everything we can to try to get bipartisan support to stop those um, bills and protect Montana families no matter where they live. So further kind of on threats, we've already seen folks on the other side of the aisle expand gun rights to allow concealed carry firearms in most places, including college campuses. And they've introduced some bills to limit the rights of transgender people, which I think you mentioned. Um, where can we find common ground in the weeks ahead? Like, Has Governor Gianforte been a good partner in his pledge to work together? That's a really good question. You know, um, earlier this week, we saw a bill that allows for loans uh, to fund affordable housing projects, um, House Bill 21, which was uh, carried by Representative Custer. Um, it was a reauthorization of a program that Representative Fern from our caucus um, started last session. And we saw really heartening bipartisan support on that bill uh, that is a creative Montana solution to solve the shortage of workforce housing, housing for folks with disabilities and uh, low-income families. And so we're, we need to do more, but that was, I think, a really heartening look at the kind of things that we can accomplish together um, with, a, with a pretty solid bipartisan working majority. In terms of the governor, um, he's reached out. Um, he's been a good communicator, I think, so far. Um, he's set up uh, a standing meeting with minority leaders, both myself and Senator Kohenauer. Um, so we haven't gotten a chance to work together on anything yet, but I think the communication is in place, which is a good start. So we'll have to sort of report back maybe 
a little bit later in the session on, on how it all plays out. But I will say that in terms of communication, it's been good so far. Much of the work you're doing this year has clearly been changed by the COVID-19 pandemic. And many of your colleagues in the legislature refused to wear masks in the Capitol. So my question is, is how can Montanans influence their elected leaders without putting their own health at risk? So that's a really good question. And, you know, you heard the speaker on the first day of the session say this will be the most accessible session in Montana's history. And what he, what he was referencing there, and I think what he meant, is that we're allowing for video conference participation um, in all committee hearings, uh, which has never happened before. So we are encouraging our, our supporters not to come into the building um, for the reasons that you mentioned. The public health uh, directives aren't being followed or enforced in the Capitol building, which means it's not safe enough, um, we don't think, for um, public participation in the building. That said, there is the ability to participate remotely in hearings um, through video conference. Uh, it's an it, it's an important opportunity considering that the building is, isn't safe enough from our perspective to encourage the public to come to. So we're encouraging folks to participate remotely, um, to engage in the normal ways that you all have always engaged in too, which is, you know, calls and emails as well. All of it is very valuable. Kim, what else should Montanans be watching for as you spend the next few months hard at work in Helena? No, Jake, I think we want eyes on the budget process. You know, um, it, it, you probably saw in the first couple meetings of Section B, which is the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, well, it's Health and Human Services section of the budget. There was a there was a starting po- point motion that cut almost a billion dollars from programs and services that Montanans depend on and coming hopefully towards the end of a pandemic where folks have had a really hard time, it's unconscionable to um, perpetuate those cuts that are gonna affect communities in every part of the state, affect negatively jobs and of course the the healthcare services that folks depend on. So we're we're really um, alarmed by that. We definitely want to, to keep an eye on the budgeting process Obviously, we depend on the state budget for a lot of things, and our economy depends on the state budget as an engine. And so, uh, you know, that's the thing that I think doesn't get a lot of attention and needs more attention, um, more eyes of the public on it, for sure. Representative Kim Abbott is Montana's House Minority Leader. She represents House District 83 in Helena, Representative Abbott, thanks so much for your leadership and thank you so much for joining us on MCD Cast. No, this has been fun. Thanks for having me, you guys. The views of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of MCV, its staff, or its board of directors. And in the interest of full disclosure, the Montana Conservation Voters Action Fund proudly endorsed Representative Abbott as a conservation champion in all of her campaigns. This week, MCV teamed up with the Montana Wilderness Association, the Montana Wildlife Federation, and the Trust for Public Land to send a message to Montana lawmakers. In a column, we're reminding legislators that Montana voters approved marijuana legislation last November with broad bipartisan support. We backed the effort because tax revenue from recreational marijuana is supposed to be significantly funding public land. 
Unfortunately, Governor Gianforte's proposed budget diverts all that money from public lands. But it's the lawmakers, we wrote, who will soon have a chance to respect the will of Montana voters by using a promising new revenue source to expand public access and outdoor opportunities. The background sounds you hear are from a breezy January day at the Four Dances Natural Area in Yellowstone County. This is public land administered by the Bureau of Land Management. From where we recorded those sounds, you can see the bighorns, the priors, the bulls, crazies, and the beartooths. Five different mountain ranges. No wonder why we call this state Montana. So help you God. So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. President. And that does it for MCV Cast this week. We'll leave you with the formal welcome of the new President of the United States, Joe Biden. We'll be back next week. Thank you.